So a quick review, just kind of what we learned last week. So we're in Genesis chapter 1, all right? Genesis 1, um, let's just kind of bust through some of this stuff. And I may even call on some of our older folks to see if they've got some stuff written down from last week. So we're going to try that out. Uh, in other words, Tatum. <laughs> um, so here we go. So let's do, Ty, can you just read Genesis 1, 5? So Genesis 1, 5. Okay, now we didn't spend a lot of time on this last week, but, but just some important introductory stuff. So um, the place that I sit and what I think the Scripture teaches uh, and again, we reviewed this last week, is just, um, this is part of why we think that seven days means seven literal days, okay? Not each day represents an age, not it's a poem or a song, which is called the framework view. Um, again, this is, a, this is a secondary, maybe even a tertiary, that's three, issue, meaning it's not direct, like, like if you and another person at your church disagree on this, that's totally okay, all right? Does that make sense? It really is. Um, I think you should definitely talk about that. I think you should dig into that. I think there's some good that could come from that, but it's okay if you disagree, all right? So let's talk about this from last week. There, there's kind of three big reasons, Tatum, thoughts? What's one of the reasons that we think this is 24 literal days? Do you remember from last week? It's okay if you don't. I'm just kind of curious. Okay, nice. All right, so here's what Tatum said. She said the ands that are mentioned in the verse. Here's what Tatum's talking about. Um, we used this example last week. If I say once upon a time, Delano, if I say, hey, man, once upon a time, are you going to take what I'm about to say literally and factually? Like, is it a real, probably not. Good. Okay, good. You shouldn't. Yeah. It, because I'm starting it as a fairy tale. That's a type of genre, right? But if you open your history book about when Lincoln was shot, right, you're not going to think like, uh, this is probably made up, right? Because it's history, all right? The way the Hebrew language is written isn't, again, and this is just kind of just a big word, just hang with me. It's called the Vav consecutive. That's the tense that it's written in. That's the, that's the genre. It's, it's historical. Genesis 1 reads like a history book. Any Hebrew child, any Israelite child picking this up and reading this would not think, oh, this is a fairy tale, because it's not written that way. It's written to suggest history historical, all right? Any other thoughts here? Ty, anybody else? Anyone remember from last week? Wheeler, go ahead. What's one other reason that we think, well, I say we assuming you guys, so if you don't assume that, that's okay, but this is one of the reasons that we think that it's literal days. Mm -hmm. Yep, five consecutive, good. Yeah. There we go. Okay, close. Number was way closer. It's like, thoughts? You got it? Thoughts? Yes. Amazing. I'm like going to weep in a minute. Um, okay, here's why this is important. Write this down if you, I and mean, we've got pins literally all around this place. Um, so, like, too many. Um, that's okay. So, uh, I'm not angry about it. You're angry about it. Um, here we go. The people on the podcast are like, what is he talking about? In Hebrew, the word for day is yom, Y-O-M, okay? And in Hebrew, anytime the word yom is next to a number, meaning like the first day, the 30th day, the 12th day, the second day. In the Old Testament, it's always 
in reference to a 24-hour period of time. It's not in reference to a figure or, or an age, but anytime it's the first day, the eighth day, it's always in reference to a, per- to a 24-hour period of time. So good job. Wonderful. Um, all right. And also, here's the last kind of, this is like a newer one, and it's going to sound like, okay, Ryan, but this one is legit. It's also the plainest reading of the text, as in, when you read through that, you don't automatically think, oh, okay, he means, he means thousands of years here. Or, oh, it's the refrain in a poem or a song. Does that make sense? It's the plainest reading of the text. Um, God is trying to be clear with us here in his word. And he's trying to express to us exactly what he means and, and what happened. And, the plain, and again, the idea of a day-age view, of a day equaling thousands of years, was never the popular opinion until about 200 years ago. When science became modernized, with enlightenment, with the, and, and even a little bit before that with the Renaissance. So you see how it's, it's this idea, we're going to go deep for a minute, so just hang with me. But it's this idea of mankind kind of building their own Tower of Babel out of science and using it against God. And this is not me saying, like, science is bad. You, got, just, you just got to learn about it in the Bible. That's not what I mean. Science is awesome. Science is so, I only understand, like, a little bit of science. But science is great. I want you to learn as much as you can. But so often when mankind accomplishes things, we use it against God, right? How much pornography is looked at on the iPhone? You see what I'm saying? You see the point I'm trying to make? Anytime we develop these tools, mankind sinfully uses them against God. We develop science. and Instead of, instead of science helping draw us closer to God, giving us a, a clearer picture of God, sometimes we take science and we, look, and we put it into the Bible and we say, there's no way it could, it could all be done in one day. There's no way it could be done in one day. Science just won't allow for that. No, whoa, whoa, whoa. You see how you're trying to put science into the Bible? I'm not, I'm not saying don't think critically. I'm not saying don't think clearly. But I am, and again, we talked about this last week when, when we get to it with Adam naming all the animals in one day. In the six, it looks like the same day Adam is created is the same day he names all the animals. How could that be possible? How, how could he do that all in one day? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to us. And we talked about how last week, we're never going to comprehend unfallen Adam. Adam with no sin, a world with no sin and corruption. His brilliance, his, his abilities, which makes the fall that much more tragic. I don't know about you, but like, I, don't know, I dropped my keys in the toilet. You know what I mean? Like, an Adam named all the animals. Like, what? Like, we're just, not, that's just an example, okay? So, like, so, but like, you see what, but you see what I mean, though? Like, we're ne- and and I, I do, I encourage you guys to, to think about that maybe in quiet time some. The perfection of unfallen, not just the perfection, but the brilliance of unfallen Adam and Eve. Their abilities, the, the speed at which they did things. The, the, and, and when Adam names Eve, which we'll get to tonight, he names her based on her function. Adam doesn't just think of names for the animals. He names them based on what they do. So he doesn't just like, go through the DMV line of just like cycling through all of them as quick as he can. He sees what they do, he comprehends their nature, and then he names them based on that. Next one, next one. It's unbelievable. Um, a quote from, one of, from the Genesis debate again says, Aristotle is the shards of, is the rubbish of unfallen Adam. Aristotle couldn't even hang with unfallen Adam because of his brilliance, which shows the effect that sin has, dulling our minds, Right? I'm never going to be able to say no to sex before marriage or to pornography or to my same-sex attraction or to gossip or slander because I just, it just looks so appealing 
The reason it looks more appealing to you than God is because sin is blotting our mind. It's almost like a cancer, a breakdown in our minds and in our hearts that makes things look more appealing than God. So just some stuff to chew on, right? All right, here we go. Let's get into not necessarily the new stuff quite yet, but we're getting closer. Uh, 126, Genesis 126. Tatum, do you mind doing Genesis 126? And again, this is kind of the last of our review, and then we'll get into some good stuff, all right? And then we might even get out of here early, right? Genesis 126. Tatum, take it away. Good. Thank you, Tatum. All right. So we talked about this last week. Anybody? And, and don't be like, I've already shared. I don't have to share again. That's okay. Don't. Don't. It's fine. Like, thoughts from my, from my returners. Last week, what's important about this verse? So he says, us. Yeah, 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 yeah. Them is referring to Adam and Eve. But yeah, so, so Sarah said, he says, oh, Sarah Beth, sorry. So he says, let, you're welcome. I, I understand the double name, I get it. So he says, let us make man in our image. Does he ever, Tatum, quick question. Does he ever, does God ever say, let us in reference to any other created thing besides man. No, he does not. Let us, so he's like, it's like Sarah Beth said, he's bringing in the Trinity. He's bringing the Trinity to the front. And he's, he only uses that with man. He doesn't use it for Everest or El Cap or the water or the grass or space or anything. He says, let us make man, right? He, uses, he brings the Trinity, the divine fanfare, the divine orchestra to the forefront. Because here comes mankind. This is how special we are. And we're not just made, right? Ty, what are we? We're made in what? In, yeah, good. In the image of God. This does not apply to any other creation. This is why we are above the animals, right? Obviously, we're supposed to treat animals with respect and creation with respect, right? But they are below us. According to Genesis. And I don't feel weird saying that. Like, they are. They do not have as many rights as we do. They do not have as much dignity as we do. We are made in the image of... Now again, that's not licensed for abuse. That's not licensed for ill treatment or, or pollution or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying. But we have to hold mankind. We have to hold ourselves in our proper place. We are more dignified than animals in nature. And all these other things. If the one thing... if the root of so much brokenness in your life and mine is this idea that we are not giving each other the dignity that we are owed to each other because we're made in the image of God, all right? So, 126, very important, made in the image of God. Let us, right? God is, God is getting intimately involved here. He's almost made, he doesn't say, every, remember when, I was like, okay, so Ryan, you don't even have to look. When God wants to create light, what does he say? You remember this from Sunday school? He says, exactly, let there be light. But he doesn't say that with man. He says, let us make. Using my hands, it's much more intimate. He's making, he's molding mankind. All right, cool. There's only a couple of you guys here. So, so I mean, questions on that? Comments on that? Anybody have anything you want me to dig deeper or clarify before we keep going? Cool? Word. All right, let's move on. Let's get into some newer stuff. We're getting closer. All right, flip over to Genesis 2. So if you are anywhere but Genesis 1, you've gone too far, all right? So Genesis chapter 2, we're looking at, here we go. Now, 
Here's something else that you'll hear sometimes. Genesis 1 and 2. Why are they, why does God start over? Because he makes, he kind of makes mankind at the end of chapter 1, but then in chapter 2, he makes them over again. And so we're trying, like, people will ask, well, well, it's two different creation accounts. It's two. No, 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 no. It's this idea of, it's like in, like, did you ever watch the show Lost, right? You know what I'm talking about? Okay. Why does that get the most attention from you guys out of all this? So, like, there's, there, what happens in Lost is, like, uh, especially in season one, they just give you the plot, right? They just kind of teach you what's going on. In season two, there's a lot more, like, flashbacks, right? Or flash forwards when you get into the good stuff, right? So there's all these different things that are going on. Well, well clearly it's two different TV shows. No, what are you talking about? It, they're telling the same story from a different angle to give you a much clearer picture. They're telling the same story from a different angle to give you a much clearer picture. Okay? Does that make sense? This, and we talk about this in Sunday school, right? This is why the Gospels, people say Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all different. They, they're, they're different stories. They're inaccurate. They must remember. No, 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 no. If, if there's a car accident up here by, by Barry or by Wells Fargo, and I see it and Ryan Baker sees it, but Ryan's coming from, from the right side and I'm coming out from behind, we're going to have two different stories, and we're two different people. We're going to have two different stories that we tell the cop. Does that make sense? Well, is it, well it's two different car accidents. No. It's, it's, we're actually getting, since, we're, since they're different perspectives, you're actually getting a clearer picture than you would if it was the same story. Does that make sense? So people who come to you and they say Genesis 1 and 2 are different, the Gospels are different, therefore it's less accurate, you can actually say back to them, the fact that they're different actually makes it more accurate. Actually gives you a, a imagine looking at something in 2D versus 3D. In order to look at something in 3D, you need multiple angles. Does that make sense? The Gospels, is, the Gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is the story of Jesus in 3D. From more angles, more stories. It's better, it's more helpful that they're different. Same with Genesis 1 and 2. All right, cool. All right, here we go. Ty, let's stick with you, buddy. Genesis chapter 2. Verse 7. Genesis 2, verse 7. Good. All right. So here's why this is important. And I want to, and this will apply especially when, when woman is created, okay? Or Isha in Hebrew. So just whatever, I'm just showing off a little bit. Um, all right. So 2 7. The Lord God forms man. All right. From Delano, did you catch it? He forms man from the what? From the dust of the ground. All right. The creation of mankind. Okay. Creation of mankind. And when I say mankind, I mean, I mean women and man. But the fact that it's called mankind is also important. All right. The creation of mankind is earthly substance divinely r- refined. Earthly substance divinely refined. God takes the dust of the ground and he refines it into Adam. Does that make sense? Earthly substance, divinely refined. Um, another kind of nerdism, and I apologize, but especially in Jesus' day, and even today, the spiritual doesn't really mix with the physical. Especially in Jesus' day. The Greeks, they, they didn't, the, the, the divine was so high above us, right? It never mixed with, with earthly stuff. That's part of why the big debate between is Jesus fully God or fully man, that was huge right after the resurrection. Because true divinity would never mix with the earthly. The gods were above us. They didn't care, right? But in Genesis 1, it flies directly in the face of the Egyptian gods. 
of the Babylonian gods. This is God literally hands in the dirt mixing with earthly substance. All right, So mankind is earthly substance divinely refined. All right, let's skip all the way down here. Um, now, Eve has not been created yet. So go down to Genesis 2, 19. Genesis 2, 19. Um, Delano, would you mind reading Genesis 2, 19? All right, so this is part of Adam's headship, part of Adam's rule over creation is his ability to name things, okay? Um, this, this implies leadership or headship is the idea of naming these things. Now, here's why this is important. Um, God sends Adam. Now, now, think about it. Who, not a trick question, who's missing from the scene so far? You got God and Adam and the animal. Who, who's missing? All right, good, my theologians, well done. Eve is missing so far. Here's why God does this with Adam. He allows Adam to name all these creatures, all these animals. And he's watching, Adam is watching as all these animals come up to him in male and female. How all these animals come up to them, each with their own mate, each with their own deep friendship, if, if you can say it that way each with their own complement, right? Does that make sense? He sees all these creatures, male and female, that will complement each other, that will reproduce, and he names them. And over time, as Adam keeps seeing all these pairs, what do you think is eventually going to cross Adam's mind? Why do I not have a being that complements me? Um, Ray Ortland is a guy who wrote a chapter in this big book that I love. He also wrote a very small book that I think you should check out. It's called Marriage and the Mystery of the Gospel. Okay, Marriage and the Mystery of the Gospel by Ray Ortland is this guy's name. It's like eight bucks on Amazon, right? He writes in this, fellas especially, but I think this applies to the ladies as well. Why on earth, um, how am I going to say this? When you hit like seventh grade, and you go through puberty, you start to get these desires that you did not count on getting. Does that make sense? Like, I don't know, Matt Chandler uses this weird example. He goes like, Jennifer Aniston becomes like much different to a seventh grade guy than she does to a sixth grade guy, right? Does that make sense? Jennifer Aniston was racial and friends, for those of you who are like, whatever, okay? So, but it's this idea of, you know, our bodies begin to change. But, but in seventh grade, you ain't ready to get married, all right? Regardless of culture, you are not ready to get married, okay? They don't, do, they don't do that in most cultures, okay? Especially in America. So why on earth do you develop with all these, with these new physical desires, right? Women's bodies develop and change. Guys' bodies develop and change. But also there's these new desires that you can't do anything to satisfy for like at least another decade. Does that make sense? <laughs> Part of it, here's what, now, now, this is what's so cool about this. This is, and this is the connection that Ray Ortland draws. It's this idea of there's this sense of longing created in Adam from this. He starts to desire, not just, it's not just a physical sexual thing, but a deep connection, a deeper friendship, finding a mate. He cre God has creates this longing in Adam. He doesn't just make Eve before Adam even knew he needed her. 
he creates this longing in Adam through showing him all these pairings. And Adam doesn't have this. And then he brings Eve to Adam. And one of the connections that Ray Ortland made. Now, now the reason I'm telling you this is look at how Genesis directly applies to your life. Look at how this, this longing, this desire that's not being met. This is straight out of the Bible. Why do I have these desires and feelings and they can't be met yet? This is biblical in you. It's, it's deeper than even genetic. The reason it's genetic in you is because it's biblical. Because from the Bible comes how we were created. It's this incredible thing. And then God brings Eve to Adam to show Adam, remember, Adam, I am the one who meets all your needs. I'm the one who will satisfy you. It's this idea again. And, then, and, you know, and we know this because when Adam sees Eve, he says, at last... Or this now in some of your versions. It means at last. You don't say, if you're full, if you've eaten like a tub of ice cream and you're about to vomit, and I put another bowl of ice cream in front of you, you're not gonna say at last. Does that make sense? Because you only say at last when you get something that you've been wanting. So why would Adam say at last? Because this desire has been created in him, this longing, and then he, cre- he brings Eve. All right, here we go. Let's get to Eve. A um, couple different things. Look at um, Genesis 2, 21. 2, 21. Ryan, would you mind reading? Sure. Genesis 2, 21. Uh, do 21 and 22, sorry. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with them. And the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Okay, good. So... There's a lot in here. Again, I, I, I challenge you to spend some time in here in your quiet time. So, Adam, now, Delano, what, what was Adam made out of again, remember? The dust of the ground. Earthly substance, divinely refined. And then now, Delano, let's sit with you. What does God make Eve out of? What does he start with? Adam's rib. So, follow this. You got the dust of the ground divinely refined into Adam. Then you have divinely refined Adam, divinely refined again to become Eve. Women, and this is legit. Women are doubly refined. Women are doubly divinely refined compared to men. Okay, And it's not like a gotcha, like it's not like that, but it is this interesting... There really, ladies, there really is this extra, I don't don't even know how to say it. There's this extra emphasis. You are doubly, you are, so Adam is the dust of the ground, divinely refined. Eve is divinely refined substance, divinely refined again. Almost like, like dust becomes a diamond, and then a diamond is doubly broken down and refined to become even more brilliant. Does that make sense? That's how the Bible, yeah, you can, you can get a little bit of there. That's how the Bible views women. It is abs- it's just this bull that people think that the Bible has this low view of women. There's no merit for it if you start in creation. There is no merit for it. Now, I wasn't going to do this part, um, but I've got to. I have to. Um, okay. Let's, get, let's do the polygamy thing, all right? Polygamy is having more than one husband or wife, right? It's all over the Old Testament. These, it was like the thing. I, what in the world, right? And abusive women is in the Old Testament especially, right? Here's, and people will say it's in the Old Testament, therefore the Bible clearly endorses it, right? Let me ask you a question, Ty. If I'm trying to sell you a vacuum, 
right? Am I going to tell you all the good things about the vacuum or the bad things about the vacuum? I'm going to tell you all the good things. I'm going to tell you about how lightweight it is. I'm going to tell you about it's inc the incredible power it has to work on hardwood floors or carpet, right? I'm going to tell you about, about the, the length of the cord. So you never get that annoying, like, twisty thing that happens with the vacuum, right? Does that mean, I know I'm hitting home for some of you, right? I'm not going to tell you the bad stuff about it if I'm trying to sell it to you. I'm not going to tell you that the cord's not really as long as you think it is. I'm not going to tell you that the bag fills up too quickly. I'm not going to tell you that, the, that it's super loud. I'm not going to tell you the bad things about it. If you follow in the Old Testament the polygamy, the, the spousal abuse in the Old Testament, all these people's lives are absolute train wrecks and disasters. They are Abraham's life. Joseph sold into slavery. Jacob, his oldest son, sleeps with one of his wives. Jacob has two wives, right? Leah and Rachel. And then he sleeps with their two, their two handmaidens, right? Uh, Bilhah and Zilpah, I think, are their names. Jacob's life is awful. Jacob's life is a disaster. He, his, his sons sell the other kid as a slave. And they want to kill each other. And, and his daughter is, is molested and raped. And then you get later on, and Moses' life is a disaster. And, and you get further on, Solomon's life is a disaster. He has 700 wives and 300 concubines. And the, and the kingdom of Israel splits under his children. It is a massacre of a mess. But they were polygamists. So, hey, why don't we, why don't we check that out? Why don't we try? No, it's not trying to sell it to you. You see that? The Bible is not trying to sell you the abuse of women just because it's in there. The Bible is not trying to sell you polygamy just because it's in there. It's documenting what happened. It's documenting, if anything, the brokenness that comes from Genesis 3. It's telling you why you shouldn't do these things. So the next time you hear on TV or someone that you are at the lunch table with, because I know you talk about this at lunch, but like, when this comes up that, well, I couldn't support the Bible because of its view of women. I couldn't support the Bible because it's, it, all, these, all these awful patriarchal men are polygamy, are polygamists. I can never support it. You can immediately say, yes, they were, and their lives were disasters. And the Bible shows us that as well. Yes, they did abuse women, but if you look in Genesis 1 and 2, did you know that women are actually more refined than men? You can begin to use that. See, creation is the key to all that unlocks all these other doors. It's the first domino that knocks down all these other things, right? All right, I'm sorry. End of rant. We got to keep going. Um, Eve is fashioned from Adam's rib. So when Adam sees Eve, he is literally looking at his own skin, at his own body. Do you get that? This weird kind of out-of-body thing must have almost taken place here, right? He's looking at his own self here. She is a part of him. And that is not a metaphor, right? She is him. Now, let's look at this next part. This is why this is important. So he sees her. Ty, can you read uh, 23, 223? Follow this. And this is why this is important. Adam gets to name Eve, not God. 
Adam names Eve. Did you catch that? God could have at any, I mean, he's God. He could, have, he could have named her before he brought her to Adam, right? This is Eve. This is, no, 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 no. Adam names her. This only makes sense through the lens of what we would call biblical headship, male headship. Again, it's not male domination. Male domination is abusive and perverse and terrible, and it's part of why we are where we are. Male headship is this biblical, God-ordained thing. Eve has not said a single word. Eve doesn't know anything about what's going on. She's been, and she's not stupid. That's not, that's not at all what I remember. Doubly refined, unfallen. Her brilliance is something that we would never, you would spend the rest of your life sitting at Eve's feet learning, right? There's, there's nothing wrong with Eve, right? And God says in Genesis 1.26, We'll make man in our own image, and they will rule. We talked about that last week. Adam and Eve both rule creation. They're both divinely created. They're both divinely inspired, and they both rule, but they are different. So their ruling must be different in some way, because they're so physically different, right? Adam names Eve because she was taken out of man. And again, I don't mean this in some sort of patriarchal weird way. Eve gets her identity from Adam. Do you catch that? Eve knows nothing. Eve sees nothing. Eve understands nothing of what's going on until Adam names her. This is where you're from. This is who you are. This is what you are. Her identity derives from Adam. This, and, and this is not me saying... You know, ladies, when you start dating a guy, you're supposed to get your identity from him. That's not what I'm saying. But it is this idea of Adam is distinctly the head here. He is the, he is the one who names Eve. It's God's way of showing Eve. This is how it will work. This is what I've made you for. God could have stepped in at any time and said, whoa, whoa, Adam, what are you doing? But he's designed it this way. So that this is how it will work, that, that Eve will, will receive the leadership and guidance from Adam. Again, not in a way that she's stupid or unworthy or imperfect. She will rule as well, but she will rule with Adam as her leader and, and she will be his helper. Right? It says helper over and over. Ezer in Hebrew, over and over. Now, think about this. Temptation, Genesis 3. Tatum, do you know who's tempted first? And it's not a trick question. Who does the serpent tempt first? Who does the serpent tempt? Help me out, anybody. Eve is tempted first. Why? Why not go for Adam? Because Satan is attacking God's divinely orchestrated system of headship and helper. You see how perverse and terrifying Satan really is? Before he even gets to the actual temptation, he's gunning after God's grand design. Eve was literally part of Adam. Eve was named by Adam. And Satan says, screw that. I'm going after Eve first, God. It's this, it's this middle finger. It is. It's this huge bucking of the system, of this perfectly done, designly orchestrated system. That's why Satan goes for Eve first. Not because she's stupid or some ridiculous notion like that. She is doubly refined. 
and Satan wants to attack her first. It's because of her brilliance. It's because of her humility. It's because she is the helper that, that Satan says, no, 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 Eve, why don't you make, why don't you call the shots here? Don't you want to lead? He's tempting Eve with leadership. He, not, not, not leadership in the sense that women can't lead. That's not what I'm saying. But in essence of Adam is the head. Adam named you. No, no, no. You call the shots, Eve. You go for it. That's what he's tempting. And this is so important because this is the depth of the message of improper unbiblical feminism. This is where this comes from. This is the, 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 and I'm not trying to sound whatever here. This is the satanic root of some of this. Okay? This is where this comes from. Um, look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, and we'll kind of start to, we'll draw to a close as we get here. Genesis 2, 24. Ty, can you just read 24? All right. You got to understand this. Anytime you see the word for in the Bible, you can cross it out and write because, which means the sentence right before it is important because because comes in. You see what I mean? God creates Adam and Eve, divinely created by God, but different in their ruler, in their rulership, right? They're different. And Eve is the helper, Adam is the head. All these differences complement each other. They complement each other. Ad, even, even up to Adam's headship and Eve's helpership, that complements. You can't have two cooks in the kitchen. You see what I'm saying? They, everything down to the very, their very identities complement each other. For this reason, a man and a woman shall unite and become one flesh. The root of marriage is our divinely orchestrated differences. Marriage is awesome. Sex is awesome. The reason for marriage and sex, the foundation of it, is that we are different. Is that we complement each other. Does that make sense? Guys don't look at parts of a, of, of a woman's body and think, ugh. They don't, right? Women don't look at the design of a man's body and think, oh, good night. Like, they don't think that. They're not grossed out, right? The things that are different about us are what attract us to each other. And again, I'm not trying to like, wow, Ryan, that's so wise. I got it from the Bible. Like, it's the Bible, guys. This is rooted in creation. And it's because we're different. Here's why this is so important. Because the root of unbiblical feminism, the root of, and it's a, big, it's a big word, just whatever, the root of egalitarianism. Complementarianism is what the Bible teaches. Men and women are equal in dignity, different in function. They complement each other. Egalitarianism says, since I'm a man or since I'm a woman, I can do exactly what you can do. I am equal. I am judged by my performance. I will do exactly what you can do. The danger, the satanic danger, and again, it's not this attack of you can't cook as good as I can, you can't, even, I don't, I don't know, even you can't lead a corporation as well as I can. But there is a divinely orchestrated mandate by God that says the man is the head of the family, 
The woman is the supporter, the encourager, and they encourage and support each other. But the man is the head of the family, the leader in the spiritual decision-making. This is divinely orchestrated. This isn't from your grandpa, like, like from old white people who are mad at women. This is, that's not where this comes from. But this is the lie that our culture is feeding us. And here's the problem. If, if weddings are designed, if, if, if marriage is designed on the fact that men and women are different, when you attack those differences through feminism, through egalitarianism, when you attack those differences, the very institution of marriage is going to begin to collapse. And look around. Is that not exactly what's happening? And, what's, and we talked about this last week, what's deeper Remember, man and woman are both created in the what of God. In what? In his image. Man and woman together. Man and woman separate. Two single. A, a, a man who's single and a female who's single. That together creates a better, bigger picture of the image of God. So when you start to think that women should act more like men and be judged on the same standards as men all the time. I'm not even talking about transgender here. I'm talking about the unbiblical feminism and these roles that we play. And when you would start attacking that, you begin to blur the image of God. This will be terrifying on Judgment Day. Because you are going to be held... When, when men, and this goes to men too, when men refuse to lead, when men refuse to sacrificially lead their wives or their spouse or their girlfriends or whatever... When women refuse to be led and want to climb into places they've never been designed to climb, they're not guilty of making a choice. They will be guilty of an assault on the image of God. Do you see that? If our differences make the image of God, and we start to blur those differences, you are blurring, you are adding gray into the colors of the image of God. It's an attack on God. This is so important as you look in, in, into cult. There, I mean, there are people here. Very intensely, this is what, this is the, and this is where abortion, my body, this is where it all, it is all rooted in creation, in this deeper view of creation. Um, even marriage itself. Marriage itself is rooted in this idea of our differences. And when you start to attack those differences, this is why people are waiting later and later and later to get married. Because women less and less and less want to be led. Women more and more becoming independent so they don't need a man. And, and, and not, again, you, you know me well enough to know I'm not attacking the idea that you should be, like ladies should be, Independent and strong and, and powerful. You were already designed that way. You were already designed that way. And since there's less and less need, quote unquote, for men in their lives, men have these desires and, these, and this will to, to, to lead or to grow, and it's not being met because there are no women who want that. And so the guys, now, now the guys are just as culpable because of pornography especially. Guys don't need, I don't want to deal with women who have, who, who are messy and have insecurities or who don't like the TV shows that I like and who don't want to do the stuff sexually that I do. So they lead into pornography instead, which is the, the men's fault. And we begin to build these independent castles on our own. And so marriage becomes less and less and less. It's this idea of attacking the image of God. Next week, we're going to look at Satan's temptation 
So, so right now they're naked and not ashamed. They are different and they complement each other. Adam is graciously leading as the head. Eve is graciously, beautifully, strongly, independently, powerfully guiding and helping support that, right? As the helper to Adam's headship. They're ruling creation. And next week Satan will come in and, and destroy that and the gospel will, will shine out. So spend some time in here, all right? Let me pray and the band will come up and we'll, we'll be good to go.